You're listening to Locked On Cavaliers, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast for Friday, January 25th. I'm Chris Manning, your host and the site manager over at ThrillTheSword.com, SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers site. Today's show is a Draft Friday show. It is on the high risers, guys that have flown up the draft board so far this year with Trevor Magnati, our draft guru. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Illegal Screens. That the prospects we're covering are the main ones are John Morant, Kevin Porter, as well as Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech. So those are the main guys we cover. I'll cover a few more in the discussion, sort of there as well. Uh, today also is a interesting day for the Cavs. They do play the Heat on Friday, but it is also the first day where they will have to discuss uh, recent comments made by Larry Drew and an article by Joe Varden and Jason Lloyd over at The Athletic about the Cavs coaching search going forward. Basically, the two big takeaways you can have from that article, which you can find in the show notes, and we will be discussing, I think, more at the beginning of next week, is that, number one, Larry Drew won't be back. Um, I think you also heard, you saw him in that article say, Quote, I feel like this year does not makes me not want to be a head coach ever again, to, to paraphrase. Secondly, the Cavs are going to be looking for the kind of head coach I think actually makes a lot of sense. To their credit, if they stick to this, if Dan Gilbert doesn't try to do something splashy and, and big name, they're going to go after a younger coach who has experience developing players. I think that's the right kind of hire. There are names in that article. Jordy Fernandez is the one that jumps out to me. I'm sure other names will come up as well. But that's where we're at with the Cavs right now. Basically, there's a coach that is just here to collect checks and guide the team through the end of a disastrous season. The trade deadline is coming up. We're about two weeks away at this point. And it's going to be a very interesting time the rest of the year. We'll see what Larry Drew has to say Friday um, when I'm sure he'll be asked about what he said to uh, Jason Lloyd in specific when he talked to the, I mean, legendary, frankly, beat reporter up in Boston. Uh, But here's today's show. It is a draft Friday. We'll have a recap up of Cavs heat in your feed Saturday morning for your weekend enjoyment. And then the Cavs do play Sunday. So we'll have a Sunday recap show and then likely a Monday show as well, just to kind of double up and and talk about things that are more interesting than the Cavs bulls, which (laughs) yeah, not a lot of fun. Uh, But here's today's show, Trevor Magnani, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks again. Hello and welcome to this Draft Friday. It's Trevor Magnani back as always. Find him on Twitter at Illegal Screens. His writing at The Step Back and for The Sword. This week, uh, after last week's not mock draft, mock draft, we're going to look at some guys that have flown up draft boards so far this college basketball season. Trevor, how are you? Doing good. Excited to talk about some of these guys because we've been very focused on the Duke guys, Bull Bull and Nasir Little so far with this. And 
there are several other guys who have kind of gotten onto the same level as as those last two. So I'm um, excited to kind of shed some light on some of the newer guys that Cavs fans should be paying attention to. So let's um, start with a guy we talked about a bunch last week. So Jared Culver, a shooting guard from Texas Tech. Um, he, you currently have him. Actually, he's the guy that is the first non-Duke player on your draft board right now at number three. Um, Trevor, where was he for you coming into the season, and what has caused him to to rise the, in the way he has? So I had him in the early 20s. Um, he was wow. a guy that we, that we saw last year playing next to Zach Smith, who's now on the, on the Philadelphia 76ers at, te- at Texas Tech, um, was playing as kind of a secondary creator next to uh, – Keenan Evans, who I believe is in the G League now, and Smith. Um, so he was kind of in the on the back burner. And one of the things that was kind of holding him back was he was a guy who had this kind of power forward, small forward type skill set, but was a little bit undersized for that and also didn't have the best shooting mechanics. Well, you look a lot better when you have the skill set that he has, and instead of being 6'6", you're suddenly 6'8", which he appears to have grown to over the summer, and your three-point shot has started to make a major overhaul and has gotten a lot more consistent. So that's why he's been such a high riser for the draft community this year is because he has this foundation as a really smart team defender, a really versatile wing that can jump up to the four and has the skill set to be able to bang with bigger guys and also has the makings of some really impressive shooting mechanics. And I think that that's a really enticing package that has made him into a guy that is, or who is not getting the top five, accolades yet from the major draft resources but should be by the end of the year if he keeps this up so what is his like ceiling as an nba player i think for the Cavs, i i I operate sort of under the expectation that they may try to shoot for the stars and get the the guy with a big upside that's why like i think i could see a scenario where they do take bulbul or do take cam radish because they see the the star potential there but I also think there's a very, maybe perhaps smarter scenario where they try to build something akin to what you know maybe the Pacers have done, where obviously Victor Oladipo is like the best player on that team, but they have a lot of other really good players. Um, there are other teams that are you know not necessarily built around like one star. I think for a market like Cleveland that makes sense. But could what is what is Culver's like if he's your number if he's like the the your highest pick um, to date of your young guys with Sexton and Jetty and Zizic. Where does he sort of fit among the hierarchy of like where he might fall if everything works out for him? Where would he fall in sort of that hierarchy of player? I think if everything works out for him, he's going to be a type of guy who looks or who operates like Gordon Hayward in Utah or Al Horford in Atlanta, where he is a number one guy on a overall very strong, deep team. I think that if you put him on the Phoenix Suns and you put him in Devin Booker's usage, he's not going to be successful. I think he's a guy who needs 
to kind of feed off of other players, but is going to be able to carry the offense when some of those other players that you surround him with may not be able to. So I like th- I like that comparison of Hayward in Utah in particular because they play the p- same position and they're honestly going to play very similar roles. You know, Culver is a guy who I think eventually could take a lot of on-ball possessions, but it's not going to start out that way. He's going to start out as a catch-and-shoot guy that's going to cut, run um, some secondary actions occasionally with bench units, and is mostly going to be kind of a complementary player that over time is going to refine his skill set into being a guy who can be that number one option. So I think that's kind of what you're projecting with him moving forward is, you know, you start out with the bare, bo- with the bare bones of him being a valuable complementary wing. And then he just keeps, you hope that he keeps building and building his skill set in the way that he has in his, ch- from high school to college and from freshman year to sophomore year into that guy who can carry a very well-rounded team. So would you have a concern for him based on how you're describing him as a prospect, drafting him into Cleveland, where, like, let's say they trade Kevin Love this summer. I think it's a lot harder to envision them being that well-rounded team right away. Um, Maybe, I mean, maybe tell me if I'm wrong about this, but maybe it seems like Cam Reddish could succeed. Like, doesn't necessarily need that makeup, right? Like, he doesn't need that necessarily. He could transcend it if things were God for him. But would you have concern for Culver and his fit with the Cavs if, like, they try to, like, go more to the studs than, and get rid of Kevin Love and remove some of that potential structure that's there? And, of course, like, if they don't hire the right coach and install a real offense, like, this might not matter anyway. This, they could have Kevin Love, and it could, could just mean they're screwed anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think that the one thing that holds me back is that he, Culver seems like a guy that you're going to have to be a little bit patient with um, as he develops, and we know how good the Cavs are with that. Um, so that could be something that is that is a potential concern, is that they're going to feed him too much too early, and he's going to disappoint, and they're going to give up on him before he has the chance to really flesh out. That's That type of guy, when they're put in that situation, does not typically do well. So I think that's the one thing that holds me back, is they have to commit to the idea of having realistic expectations for what his skill set's going to be at the NBA level from the jump, and not get bogged down in the idea of, well, we picked him number three or we picked him number five he's got to be our guy um what what for you is could is he do you think he's actually gonna well right this is the last kind of thing i have on him is he someone you actually think will jump into that consensus sort of top five by the time the nba draft will run it's obviously projecting a lot but do you think he's going to get there in a way that like he might not be there at four or five if they slip to there I, I think that he definitely could. Um, he's got two games against Kansas to come up as showcase games. Um, he has, you know, he, he has shown no signs of slowing down. He hasn't been a guy who's like an up and down prospect in the way that like Romeo Langford of Indiana has, for example. Um, he, he's been very consistent. And I think that his consistency is going to continue to be important for him in in that it's going to provide that opportunity where you're not going to see him slip 
at all. And other guys are going to hit, hit walls. We've seen that with RJ Barrett this year already. He's, he kind of hit a wall in non-conference play where he was completely ineffective in, in Maui. We've seen Cameron Reddish basically struggle through a year long wall. Um, we we've seen other guys have, have their struggles. And I think that Culver is going to shine in the fact that he has been night in and night out consistently very impactful for a very, very good Texas tech team. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to talk about two other high-risers. So stay tuned for more of this Draft Friday on Lockdown. And we are back. All right, so Trevor, I'm going to give you your choice here. Do you want to talk about John Morant from Murray State first, or do you want to talk about Kevin Porter from USC? Let's talk about John Morant because he's been the guy that has kind of been the hipster pick as a, as a top five guy. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I've seen him. He's number 14 on your the board that we have currently as we record this. I could change by the time you listen to this. But, man, I... I was surprised to see him as high as I've seen him on a couple boards. Yeah. Um, Draft Express, I think, had him in the top five. Um, Jeremy Wu at Sports Illustrated has him near the top five. And then if you're going to, you know, if you're going to rely on something that's a little bit less reliable, NBA DraftNet has him as their number one guy currently. Um, so he's definitely getting the love from some of the major places. What? Why? Like what? What has been his his rise? His his put up into that high high level for you? And what do you, what do you think it's been? Well, I think the big thing is that his athleticism shows out so well in the in the small college setting. I mean, when you watch a Murray State game, he is he looks like Zion Williamson looks like in the power five. Um, he, he looks like far and away the the best player on the court at all times. He is so good at beating guys to spots um he has he has really good uh really good touch going to the rim he's a really good decision maker once he actually gets up in the air he's really good at changing shot angles has really good touch on floaters and um is also able to hit those little passes and as dump offs when he gets contested at the rim um he has a really advanced finishing profile and i think that's really exciting because finishing is one of the most important skills for a young point guard um, I think, I think it's that it's that production. It's the athleticism, you know, there isn't, there isn't another guard in the NCAA who blocks shots as consistently as he does. And he has, he has some real defensive potential as kind of that havoc causing guy at the point of attack. And I think when you couple those two things, he looks very enticing. Yeah, he's playing at a smaller level, but he looks like a guy who would be doing just the same thing if he were playing at Louisville as he is doing at Murray State. So there have been two point guards in recent memory drafted from Murray State to NBA teams. So obviously, uh, Campaign, who's now maybe was, depending on when you listen to when, what goes on from when we record this to when you listen to this, um, was a lottery pick in 2015, is a fringe NBA player now. Uh, Isaiah Cannon was a pick from the Rockets in the second round in 2013. 
Those guys are not stars. They're, they're fringe NBA players. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, is there anything about this conference, about this program that, like, what, what about him makes you think, like, he's not going to be the third version of those guys? Well, I think the big thing, the big caveat to throw in there is both of those guys played under a different coach. Okay, um, that's good to know. So, so Steve Prom, who is the Iowa State coach currently, was Payne and uh, Cannon's coach. Uh, Murray Murray State has um, obviously a different coach because now uh, Prom is with the Cyclones. Um, so it's a little bit different system. Um, it's not as reliant on that catch and shoot three that Cannon was so good at. Um, and it's a, it's a little bit more of kind of a, mo, a motion style offense that gets Morant involved, not just as an on-ball scorer, but also gets him in kind of some more advanced like secondary secondary looks and cuts and things like that. Um, so we see we get to see him do a little bit more than we saw those other guys do. I think the other thing that kind of separates him from them is the athleticism, you know, for as um, for as good as Isaiah Cannon looked as a college player, he was purely banked on as a shooter and never really had that athletic background to get to the rim consistently. And that's kind of why he floated around the, the, the league campaign didn't really have the mental side of things down. And I think that that's, that's proven true in every place that he's been. Um, so I think there are, there were real drawbacks about both those guys that you don't see as much with, with Ja. The reason that I still have him down at number 14 is he does have a little bit of kind of those negative tendencies that we see young guards have that either they grow out of or they don't. And I'm not sure if he's going to be one of those guys who does grow out of kind of some of the bad decision making, the um, the tunnel vision, the idea that he has to be the guy that is the number one reason that the offense is having success. Um, and those are those are some of the traits that I see with him that I think he needs to grow out of. And we'll see whether he does or not. But, you know, I, I think it's a completely different situation. And that's something that we all fall into the trap of. You see guys come out of, at the same position, come out year after year from these small colleges and you lump them all together. These guys have very different skill sets from each other. Should Moran be on the Cavs radar, in your opinion? I don't think so because I see a lot of the same tendencies with Morant that Sexton has in terms of some of those negatives. Um, you know, he takes plays off on defense. He misses open shooters um, and kind of gets tunnel vision going to the rim. Um, he is a little bit better of a shooter, but his mechanics are not great. And I don't know that he's going to have success in the NBA right away. It's going to be kind of a process as he continues to refine that shot. So. I, I don't see that being a very valuable pick for the Cavs because you're going to have a lot of overlap between those two guys. And when you pick guys who have similar skill sets and you try to play them together, it does, it ends up hurting both of them. You don't want to draft an on a on ball creator when you already have a ball dominant on ball creator on your team. We've already played that game once. Kyrie won. He was better. Dion suffered because of it. So I think that they're I think that you're setting yourself up for that situation if you're looking at at, at Morant if you're the Cavs. Let's move on to Kevin Porter uh, from USC. He is the 15th prospect in your in the current mock draft we have. He that puts him behind guys like DeAndre Hunter, guys like Kelvin Johnson, guys like 
uh, Lugens Dorn. He, so he's behind some other wings ahead of Romeo Lankford from Indiana. Where was he at the start of the year, and what has caused him, in your mind, to be classified as as a riser up these draft boards? He was unranked. <laughs> wow, so that's two he, like yeah. huge jumps. That's really yeah. interesting. And that I, to, honestly, I guess that that says more about how um, lacking, for lack of a better phrase, that comes to mind right now. How the the lacking of sort of what we know about guys can be at the start of the year and looking ahead too far at some point. Yeah. So he, he was a guy who, um, he was, a um, he was a Stepien special, um, where he was a guy that was on the radars of Mike Gribbenoff, um, from the Stepien and, and a couple of those other guys, because he had such strong AE, AAU play that didn't get picked up by the recruiting services, um, and, and the high school ranking services. So he started off pretty far down the high school recruiting rankings list. I didn't see a ton of him before he came into college, but the games that I had, that we have seen, he has been a fast riser. You know, he's a guy who is, again, on the top five on on some boards. Um, He is a very athletic 6'7 wing, has very advanced shot mechanics in in terms of a step back and his ability to create an isolation. And is just a terrifying transition player. Um, He's probably been the second most impressive transition player I've seen this year outside of Zion Williamson, Um, just for his ability to cut across the across the floor, be able to finish at a variety of different angles and also to be able to explode over and through guys um, finishing in transition. So that's all very exciting. And he has a, he has a really solid athletic baseline. Um, I think I think that he's a guy that is going to be very raw at the NBA at the NBA level early on. But he has the potential to be a star um, if a lot of things go right for him. So he's seems like a more developmental prospect for the Cavs to be let's say seriously consider taking him where would they need to fall for you to have him seriously play if people listen last week and I really really recommend people go back and listen to last week's show if they haven't already my favorite draft show we've done so far one of my favorite podcasts I've done on this podcast in a long time we basically went through the top six picks his name did not come up so where would they have to fall or perhaps trade back to for him to be someone in play. I think that he will be in play for the team at the five, six range. Um, I think that a realistic, reasonable place to take him at this point would be probably in the 10 to 12 range. Part of that is because he has missed so much time with a, what appears to be a quad contusion. Um, he is he's missed about six weeks now of the, of the season um, with that, and there's question whether he's going to come back, and that's really problematic because we saw him in a little bit of a limited role in his in his time actually on the floor. You know, he was a guy who was not getting major minutes for this team, um, was looking brilliant in the minutes he was getting, but didn't do this stuff consistently, and. That's what I really question is is if he's able to do that and if if he's able to make some of the more advanced reads and some of the more advanced defensive plays that we didn't really see in his early action. Um, so basically, we're kind of being shut out of the ability to see him improve as the season goes on. So without that in mind, it's really hard to get a gauge of what his ultimate ceiling is because you don't know how functional that athleticism is going to translate into being. 
Um, so that's why I would kind of hold off on taking him in the range where the Cavs are going to be in play, but they very re- they very seriously need to be looking at him because he's a guy that if he performs well, maybe when he comes back at the end of the season, if he does, or in the combine, he's going to be in play for them. And I think that he could end up being a valuable player as a as a shooting guard, small forward combo that just offers this brilliant athleticism and potential shot-making ability that you could craft into being a number one scorer. So let's wrap this discussion up on this question about Kevin Porter. We've talked about this directly, indirectly so far in our talks about the draft. We do not really have a track record of how good the Cavs are as a player development system. We just don't know. It, the jury is just very out on that. Would considering he is going to be a project to some degree, or at least a developmental player. Project is a little bit, um, I think, has maybe too negative connotation to sort of what you're talking about here. And tell me if that's wrong. But would you have concerns for the Cavs as a specific franchise taking him high because of the work he's going to need? Yeah, I I think the thing to, the thing to watch with that discussion is how well we've seen the Cavs have actually some pretty positive developmental step, steps with the few guys that they have. I mean, the one guy that you can point to that we've actually seen developmental work be put in on is is Chetty Osman and he has or you've seen kind of how they look like they're going to work. They want guys to have, or they want a guy to have a specific role, and they're gonna make him do it. They're gonna put him on the floor. They're gonna give him opportunities to work on the stuff he needs to work on in live action. We saw that even, in summer league. Even if it's even if it's not like quite ideal positionally, because I think Jetty's playing like further up the ladder in terms of size than he probably should be. But you're right mm-hmm. that he is actually getting to play, which is a good thing. Yeah. So I think I think it's. If you reasonably expect that to be the case and you put Kevin Porter, for example, in those situations where he has to make these reads and you teach him how to do it, I think that could be beneficial. I think the problem is going to come with how does that stack up to what we all know is the patience level of the people who are above the people who are making the draft decisions. So how how long of a leash uh, is the development staff going to have in terms of the time it takes for those opportunities to turn into expected consistent production? I think we've seen in the past that that leash has been short. And while it was a different front office, I'm questioning whether that's going to be the case again so that's kind of why i'm shying away from some of these more like some of these more project guys for for the Cavs is because i don't trust that they're actually going to give the guy or that they're going to give the guys the leash to develop i think they're going to get the opportunities it's just are they going to get the are they going to get the benefit of the doubt and are is the team going to stick with the guys if it proves that they aren't up to par with where we expect them to be eventually because we're seeing that with Colin Sexton this year. How many Cavs fans are you seeing on Twitter every time that Colin Sexton misses a read on offense or takes a playoff on defense saying that they've made a mistake and that he is a complete disaster and there's no hope for him? 
that's the concern that I have moving forward for some of these guys is are they going to get the actual leash because of the expectations that are put on them to be able to produce? Yeah, because the same guy is signing with checks at the end of the day. Yep, and we all know who that is, and we all know what he's like. And he, they have to prove there's something different. Um, people can get annoyed about that. People can, they could push back on that. But I think they, they've, they said that's this past summer that they were going to be in the quote player development business. We need to see that be a reality. I think before some of these concerns go away, and that's not even something I think to be, to to be frank that it's going to go away in a year. We need like a couple. I think for me personally, need some data of a couple of years of data and, and player progression. Um, especially once they hire their next coach and what kind of coach they hire. That will frankly tell me a lot, right? Like if they hire a Larry Drew type or hire Larry Drew back, that would tell me one thing. If they go get their own Lloyd Pierce, their own Kenny Atkinson, that would tell me another. And that, that to me, assuming they make that coaching hire before the draft, which would seem to me to be ideal, that maybe will inform sort of what um, I think would make sense for them in the draft too. And that's obviously ways away, but I, I think if they hire the right kind of coach, some of these guys maybe become more in play too because it will signal they're at least going to initially be patient with one specific path. So when it's Tom Thibodeau, know what path <laughs> we're headed towards. Um, if they t- if Tom Thibodeau is the pick, like they're taking, they're like definitely taking DeAndre Hunter at number one, and like him and Tristan are going to both play forty five minutes a game, and Jetty's going to be like dead by December. Yep. I've it's never gonna been be great. It's going to be like not great. And then, um, ugh, don't even wait. Like we were, Cavs Twitter was joking about that like last week, but, um, <laughs> man, that would be, that would be, that would be bleak. If they like go through all this and then get a chance to like hire X interesting coach and they're just like, yeah, we're going to hire Tibbs. Um, <sighs> I will, I will be, uh, not great about that. But uh, to end on a positive note, you can find Trevor's excellent writing at The Step Back. You can find his weekly draft guide at Fear the Sword. Uh, Trevor, thank you, as always, for coming on to talk on Draft Friday. Yep. Glad Thanks to be here. again to Trevor. Uh, as always, again, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. A five-star review is the best way to support the show, specifically if you drop that one on Apple Podcasts. If you missed our mailbag show yesterday and you specifically want more about coaching, go check out that show. Justin Rona and I spent a lot of time talking about the coaching search over there. Um, and again, back tomorrow morning, recap of tonight's Cavs Heat game from Quick Loans Arena. That's a 7 p.m. tip, and we'll have that up for you as soon as I'm able to get home from the arena and then record a podcast in my office at home. But this has been your Locked on Cavaliers episode for Friday, January 25th. I'm Chris Manning. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks again. Cheers. Cheers.